The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. A little bit earlier in the day, trying to get it done for you. And uh, reminder, we'll do the Friday show tomorrow. And that will serve as your preview for the cookout deal we're going to have. I was going to do that today, but I thought, you know what, since we're going to do Friday show on Thursday, give you plenty of time to get caught up on that, that uh, we'll do that tomorrow. And, and plus, that'll give us a chance to kind of uh, confirm a few more uh, visitors. It's going to be a pretty big group. It's not going to be something crazy, though. I mean, it's going to mainly be your priority targets, uh, kind of some guys that you want to have that last a little bit of a crescendo with as you get ready to head into the season. Because you know what happens next week? That's right. That's right. College football camp's open. So we're going to talk a lot of football today. Uh, do a little baseball portal update at the end of the show. But uh, we're going to talk you know, kind of about, you know, what, do I, what am I looking for in fall camp? You know, what are some of the position battles? You know, how do some of these new players kind of mesh with what we have coming back? So we're going to talk about that really in the first segment of the show. I've got a very interesting and historic top ten list for you. A little bit of a story to go along with that. A lot of good feedback about the Mother Love Bone list and also the story in and of itself. And I'm glad that it was so well received that I'm sure there's some people out there that are kind of seething, you know, some of these uh, Nirvana fans who have a BS degree in revisionist history. I'm sure there's some of that. But I've heard from a lot of people that said, hey, you know, Steve, I didn't know a lot of that about grunge. I didn't understand that, that tucked away up there in the Pacific Northwest, there was already kind of a thriving scene. And uh, I kind of appreciated the fact that uh, I kind of took it through the history. But uh, I'll tell you that Mother Love Bone album, Apple, it makes me emotional, man. It really does. And uh, I was telling Roy, I said, man, when I die, I have him play Man of Golden Words at my funeral. I love that song. I, I do. I always have. And uh, I think it's one of those things, too. There are certain songs in life that you kind of identify with, and you begin to think, you know what? He's kind of singing my song. That's one of those ones for me. But uh, a lot of great feedback about that. I'm so good to, I'm so happy, excuse me, so glad to be able to turn some of you guys on to uh, some music and, and provide some insight and perhaps to uh, some tracks and bands maybe you're unfamiliar with. But I'll be honest with you, when I first learned of Mother Love Bar, I guess it was uh, Kurt Loder on MTV. They kind of shared a little bit of the story. And uh, because of the fact, again, I was just so en en enamored what was happening in rock music, I wanted to learn about Andrew Wood. And uh, one of the things that I forgot to mention, too, there were a lot of songs that are dedicated to or in memory of Andrew Wood, including the song Wood from Alice in Chains. Yeah, did you know that? True story. Yeah, they were very close. And uh, so Kevin from Candlebox, I got a chance to uh, meet him briefly at Rocklahoma a couple years back. Uh, thanks to my buddy Mark told the story about the song Left Behind is about Andrew Wood. And uh, how that kind of came to be is when Candlebox is getting ready to record their debut album, they had to go into the rehearsal hall to, uh, to kind of prepare for recording. And they were in the middle of uh, writing the album. 
And lo and behold, the record company put him in Mother Love Bone's old rehearsal facility. And Andrew and Kevin weren't in a great place when he passed away. And he said he walked in there, and uh, it was like he felt the spirit of Andrew Wood. And he, he uttered out loud, he said, I, I didn't mean to treat you so bad, but I did it anyway. And, of course, that kind of becomes the signature line and, uh, and far behind. So uh, that's cool. And, of course, uh, my buddy Tammy down from Faster Pussycat, he had a track, too, called uh, Mr. Love Dog. Tammy's actually from the Seattle area. So you, would, like, you wouldn't ordinarily kind of make that connection to Faster Pussycat, kind of a sleaze band from L.A., would have roots in the Pacific Northwest, but they do because Tammy's from up there and uh, knew Andrew Wood. And I've had a chance to visit with him about that uh, a couple times. But nevertheless, uh, again, good feedback on the Muddle Love Bone list. I don't know what the numbers look like. I don't know how much many people listen to it. But uh, I will tell you, it has sparked a lot of dialogue in the inbox. And, and I thank you guys for that. And so many people that said, uh, hey, you know, this was a pretty cool segment. So there we go. All right, so let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too, if you don't already. Many of you already have a raving love affair with Bulldog Burger Company. Get in there and get fed, right? Get a caliber experience, a high-caliber experience with quality service at a great price. Every time you go, as I've mentioned, too, there's some cool things happening, you know, like just live music over in Tupelo from time to time. I'm still doing the tap takeovers, and we'll share those with you as we get details about that. Had some good feedback about a couple of those experiences for people. Uh, those events, that's a cool thing, too. That, and again, it just kind of shows the innovation of the management group there with Bulldog Burger Company. It's like, hey, you know what? We've got a great product, but we're going to make it even special, even more special. If I can get it out today. Um and so they're doing some cool things. So it's not just your regular dining experience. When you're looking for something a little bit cooler, they're going to do that for you too. But uh, nothing's cooler than getting a great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of those things. It's a fine delicacy we afford ourselves in life. Nobody does it better than Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure to go by and check them out. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. Because they make you and everybody around you better looking. It's in writing. It's on the menu. There's a connection. It's true. I tell you this before we move into the uh, the football segment too. Uh, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. Went to watch uh, Oppenheimer last night with Ian. Arguably the best employee in the history of uh, Bulldog Burger Company. Um, and so I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a few seconds about this. Uh, I really like the film. So if you're thinking about going, go. It is a big commitment, though. It's a three-hour movie. Uh, but it doesn't feel like it. You know, I've had some people say, hey, it's the best movie I've ever seen. I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I don't. It is, it is a fascinating tale, though, about basically the Manhattan Project. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the people kind of behind that. And there's some Albert Einstein stuff in there I think is super cool. Uh, but like most people of that high level of academia, you know, Oppenheimer was uh, kind of a tortured soul. You know, he was one of these kind of people that saw the world in a different way. And uh, the next thing you know, he's involved with uh, something that 
that could potentially end the world. It did end World War II, but it is a fascinating tale. I encourage you, if you're looking to, on the, if you're on the fence about going, let me just go ahead and throw you over the fence and take you to go. It is worth your time and effort. And uh, so go check it out. Again, it's like three hours and two minutes. So it is, it is a commitment, right? Because, you know, you, you, if you're like me, I got to drive down there, get my popcorn. And then after that, you know, I got to drive home, you know. So it's basically a four-hour deal f- for me. I don't know how it is for you. But uh, it is worth your time and effort. Ian did go to see Barbie yesterday with some of his uh, female co-workers there from, uh, from Bulldog Burger Company. The whole group of them went, had a good time. Uh, he says that the Barbie movie actually is really good, but he did prefer Oppenheimer. And I think a lot of it's because sometimes he's kind of aging out, right? You know what I mean? You, know, you get to a point where all of a sudden the Disney movies don't hold your attention. You're a teenager and you're beginning to see the world a little bit differently. But uh, he's been going a lot. Got back from um, Young Life Camp. He uh, was a counselor at Young Life for a month out in Florida. So he's come back. So I've tried to get out and spend a time with him. And that was one of the things we had both kind of – wanted to see was Oppenheimer. So go check it out. You owe it to yourself. I think it's super cool. And, and maybe if you're a person, I'll just wait for it to come out on Netflix. No clue when it's going to happen. But um, I'll certainly watch it again. But I do think it's worth watching on the big screen. There's so many things that happen that are uh, pretty dynamic. So go check it out. Okay, let's get into some football stuff. Now, uh, I'm excited about a lot of things when it comes to Mississippi State football. Let's kind of recap you got eight home games. You have four winnable road games. That's it. Just four road games this year. Obviously, you only play 12. So eight of them are at home. And, of course, that's, you know, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Auburn. If you look at those games, is there any of those games that you would say that State would be a sizable underdog? I'm going to tell you no. I think most people would agree. And, of course, you never know what shape each team's going to be in by the time you get there, week to week, right? You, just, you never know. But that's almost like a dream-type scenario, right? That your most difficult games are at home, and then you've got winnable games for your four road trips because all the non-conference games are at home and a very winnable non-conference schedule. And so, yeah, there's a lot of reason for optimism. But there are a lot of things, too. There are still some question marks, right? Uh, the first thing that jumps out is, okay, it's a, it's a departure from the air raid offense. And here's what I'll tell you. I've had multiple conversations with Kevin Barbe this summer. Multiple. Yes, we're going to run the football more. Considerably more. But it's not going to be a run-first offense. We're going to basically take what the defense gives us. There are still a ton of elements of the air raid offense that are still employed in the Kevin Barbe system. Now, one of the things that we're going to do a lot more of because of the fact that we're going to run the football more and, and hold those safeties accountable, you make life easy on them when they can just sit back there in, in two high deep or three high safeties, right? I mean, just sit back there and, and just play the ball in front of them. You know, we're going to take more shots down the field. And Will Rogers, one of the best, you know, completion percentages in the country for, you know, passes over 15 yards. Maybe you didn't know that. Well, a lot of it's because we didn't take as many of those shots. We're going to take more this year. So you're going to get more one-on-one matchups. It's going to be completely different from what you've seen from other defenses. Simple as that. 
you know, we've gotten into this whole mentality where it's the air raid, but it was we were dinking and dunking, dinking and dunking. And so what basically happens is you, you kind of eliminate the big play possibility because everybody's just going to play back, make you throw it underneath. And instead of you, you know, maybe having two and three and four, maybe five play drives, you know, a lot of times you got to have 10, 12 play drives. So when you've got to go out there and successfully execute an offensive play 10 to 12 times on a drive, at some point you're going to make a mistake, and that's what people were counting on. Now all of a sudden, with this change in offensive philosophy, you bring back the possibility of the big play. I mean, how many times have we had, you know, a big long run you know, like we'd get a run for 20 yards or 15 yards, you know, the last couple of years, and, you know, we're excited. You know, but you haven't, ever, you haven't seen anybody just kind of break loose and have like, the, you know, you know, the 50-yard gallop to the end zone. It's because of the fact the way people were aligning to defense us, there was always two to three safeties on the field. So that's going to change. But how quickly can, you know, we kind of get up to speed here? That's the real question, Right. Uh, Barbe tells me that, you know, he was very pleased with the install in the spring and said now he's eager to get back on the field with them and kind of see, you know, retention-wise, where are we? And that's where having a veteran team matters. That's where not having a lot of newcomers show up uh, and that you're depending on is helpful. Because they've got the opportunity, you know, they've got the opportunity to kind of coach each other up. And that's what they've been doing basically for the summer. You know, they're watching film together. They're working through playbook and things like that. Uh, so the players themselves are having an opportunity to kind of get each other on the same page. It's one thing when everybody shows up and everybody's learning them themselves, and then the coaches are having to do all of the instruction. It helps when you've got a veteran quarterback like Will Rogers. You've got an offensive line. You've got some guys. It's, it's going to be a much different dynamic for them. You know, people act like, though, that all we've done, is pass block for three years. That's just simply not true. And you go back and look at the numbers last year. There were some games that we were very successful when running the football. How many times do we talk about it, right? And sometimes we get blinded by, you know, the, the lens of, you know, contempt at times too. People forget there were some times last year we were very successful running the football. I mean, how many times did you see it? It's like, man, we, we show a little more balance here. All, we, all of a sudden, you know, we're tough, especially in the red zone, right? So we're going to be able to hold teams accountable. We're going to be able to stress the linebackers a little bit. We're going to be able to make the safeties actually play football and not get out there and play seven-on-seven. Seven. It's a much different dynamic. And, again, everybody's like, well, it's a completely new offense. The skill set essentially is the same, though. It's not like we didn't have running backs. And that's one of the big questions, I think, when we enter this thing. You've got an undisputed starter in Woody Marks. I've said it for, I guess, the better part of uh, a year now. I don't think anybody benefits more to the change in offensive philosophy than Woody Marks. He is your unestablished RB1. And then there's Simeon Price. I think Simeon Price, again, he would, they were careful with him in the spring. He was kind of limited in what he could do. Um, that's RB2. You go out and you get Kevon Lee from Penn State. You know, is he as good as Dylan Johnson? I don't know that I'm ready to make that jump yet. I haven't seen him in person yet. So that's one of the guys we'll be watching. And there's Jeffrey Pittman, the number one junior college running back in the country that came in here. 
And maybe that didn't mean as much as it used to because now you've got the portal. You know, used to there were some players that uh, rather than sit for a year to facilitate a transfer, they go play junior college, you know. So it's a little different dynamic. But when I look at that, it's okay, you've got an established guy, Woody Marks, that has three years of experience in the Southeastern Conference. On top of that, you've got Simeon Price, a guy that uh, looks like he was born to play running back. You've got a reserve guy that's come in from Penn State that, that has Power 5 experience. And you get a very talented between-the-tackles guy and Jeffrey Pittman. So the personnel group to manage the demands of this offense on the ground are there, period. That should be handled. Now, is it a stable of running backs you look back and that rivals some of the best in school history? Absolutely it's not. Are they adequate? They're more than adequate. So you feel good about that group. Now, wide receiver-wise, you know, and this is one of those things, too, that maybe we don't always talk about because we've recruited so many wide receivers. I mean, obviously we have more than enough uh, to run what we want to run, but there is going to be some production that we're going to miss, and that's got to be made up. And we say, you know, Justin Robinson, of course, kind of came on toward the end of the year last year, and he did. We need him to remain on that trajectory. We need him to be the guy because of the fact that with more defensive backs committed to stopping the run, we should see some one-on-one coverage. And that's a guy that's a walking mismatch, right? With his catch radius and his size, it's going to be all about ball placement with him, right? It's a guy that can elevate a little bit too, as you saw in the ReliQuest Bowl. But to be able to get him in matchups that are advantageous to us are absolutely paramount to our success. Now, looking at the – Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security – probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit... Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y, official.com, 
forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Receiving numbers from last year. Okay. Guys, three of our top four receivers that are gone. Ra-Ra Thomas, of course. And Sadis didn't like the way that went down, but it is what it is. So he's gone. That's 44 catches and 626 yards and seven touchdowns that are gone. Then there's Rufus Harvey. Yeah, Rufus Harvey actually led Mississippi State in receptions last year with 53 and 505 yards, the best year he's had. And no, I don't expect him to come back and play. You know, there's just nobody really wants to kind of talk about all that stuff. I know he's in the portal, but uh, there's a place for Rufus here at Mississippi State. In my mind, he's always a bulldog, you know, and it's one of those things, too, that, you know, sometimes guys get a little bit nicked up and banged up. And, you know, Rufus is a guy, too, that in the beginning, I'll be honest, I was kind of late to the party, you know. 
I knew he was a good high school player. I didn't know that he would have, you know, the size to be able to compete in the Southeastern Conference. And what does he do? He goes out and puts up 53 grabs last year. I love Rufus. I do. He's a great young man. Wish him the best. Uh, Tulu returns. He had 40 catches last year, 502 yards. And he, we expect him to be a bigger part of the offense. Is, could he be a guy to pick up uh, you know, a handful of more catches and maybe uh, do some big things? I think so. I think Tulu Griffin, like you, has been underutilized. So I think we're going to see a big year from Tulu. Caleb Ducking had 477 yards. He also went in the portal. And I told everybody then, there's, there's, and Paul agreed, he has no eligibility left. But somebody out there is like, oh, well, he ought to be able to get a COVID year. Well, that's the problem is the COVID year, he redshirted. So he's already spent his four years of eligibility. You don't get an additional year. You only get that year back, and he's already played four years of college football. So he's done. Eight touchdowns last year. So when you start start looking at this personnel group, you start thinking, you know, wait a minute here. That's a lot of guys gone, and it is. We're not going to you know, have as many four wide receiver sets, but you're missing some dudes. Of course, Jaden Wiley is back, and, and Jaden didn't have the year that I expected him to have last year. We need him to have a big year this year. Of course, Justin Robinson came on later in the year, 30 catches, 326 yards, and you lose Austin Williams. You know, so when you start running through, you know, your top seven or eight receivers, half of them are gone. You know, Freddie Roberson transfers in and finally get him here. We feel good about him. Excited to see what he can do. Um, yeah, but the reality of it is is that, um, you know, we're going to have to have some guys take a jump. I think one of the guys that will is Jordan Mosley. Banged up a lot last year. Only had a couple catches. But that's a guy that had a really good spring. So, you know, again, you work through the numbers here and you start thinking, hey, there's some returning players there, but we did lose a lot at wide receiver. It's a good thing we're not running the air raid, I guess. But we'll see how things progress. But that, that's one of those things, too, when I'm being honest with myself, if there is a personnel group on offense that kind of concerns me a little bit, that's the one. And then, of course, you factor in the tight ends, the fact that we haven't played with a tight end. You know, how long is it going to take guys to get comfortable with the new formations and shifts? There's a lot of motion in this offense because we're trying to get leverage. We're moving guys around to get numbers to kind of set up some mismatches. So that's an interesting part of it, too. And so, yeah, there's a lot of questions about that. But, again, I go back to what we talked about earlier this week. Of the seven teams in the Southeastern Conference Western Division, five of them have a new offensive coordinator and a new offensive philosophy, but apparently only Mississippi State is indicted by that. That's just me. Offensive line-wise, I'm not the least bit worried about that group. Of course, you're always a little bit concerned about, you know, the second group. That's always going to be the case. Always. Uh, You know, Cam is back. You know, Cam Jones, of course, uh, you know, had the torn Achilles last year and then missed the bowl game, but he's good to go. I've talked to him recently kind of in passing – He's ready to roll. They'll be careful with him in camp. But, uh, you know, you return four starters, regular starters, but, you know, the Sharp, of course, has moved on. But you got a lot of guys on this roster that have a ton of SEC experience under their belt. And it's a veteran group that should be able to handle, you know, you know the, the different motions that go along with this new offense. So, feel good about the quarterback position, obviously. Feel great about running back. 
Uh, again, the wide receiver group and tight ends, yeah, could there be some growing pains early? Yes. At the end of the day, it's football, though. I mean, as long as you get lined up right, you got a chance to go make a play. Because the play itself is designed to get you open. Then you're just playing a game. Uh, on the defensive side of the football, feel good about the front. You know, need some guys that we've been kind of waiting on to kind of take the next leap. As you guys know, Deontay Russell is one of those guys. You know, you know, and he's actually got two years left to play if he chooses to. You know what you got in Jaden Crumbody? Nathan Pickering's a guy that show, has shown some flashes. We need him to have his biggest year this year. He's certainly capable of doing that. You know, you're going to miss Tyrus Wheat. You know, who's going to step up and kind of handle that? You know, so I don't worry about pass rush with this scheme, though, at all. I didn't worry about it under Jilly Dunn either. We're going to generate pressure. We are. And I think Matt Brock is a guy, too, that I think Matt's finally getting his opportunity on the big stage to kind of make this thing his own a little bit. But he and Arnett got to run the same scheme. But I think, you know, Matt is a very cerebral guy. So they'll find a way to get pressure. It'd be great, you know, in some situations if we could generate that with our front. I think we can. But uh, depth-wise, that's one of those things at the end you kind of look at a little bit and say, you know what? Wouldn't hurt us to have a couple guys really take a jump. Linebacker, feel great about that. The two most prolific tacklers, tacklers in the Southeastern Conference are back. J.P. Purvis, a guy that proved to be a very quality reserve, is also back. And if you feel good about that, Deshaun Page, a guy that transferred in, you know, a couple years ago from East Mississippi Community College. I mean, so you feel like the depth at linebacker is really good. And it's not just guys that you're basing, you know, your, your opinions on, on potential. These guys have production within the Southeastern Conference. You know what DCAM can do, but, you know, now what, what does he do when he's the guy drawing the tougher assignments? You know, Martin Emerson stepped up. That was the big thing. When we lost Martin, everybody's like, man, can Forbes take the next jump? Well, he did. He's first-rounder. They're a multimillionaire now. In addition to that, uh, I think it inspires DCAM a little bit, too, to say, you know what, hey, I, I was, I, it was a time just a couple years ago we only played three corners majority of the time, and I was one of those three, and those two guys are now in the National Football League making a lot of coin. I can do that too. And then there's the size Verge. You know, we, we just can't run him off, man. I mean, you just can't. Can Verge hang on to the starting spot opposite DCAM? I don't know. And that's what Fall Camp will tell us. Because you got some guys that are coming in and competing, charging hard, you know. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not worried about Darcel McBath's group. If there's anybody that is retained the last four years, you look at it and say, "Hey, this guy has gotten it done." It's McBath. I don't think anybody could argue against that, and and not just the fact that he's put guys in the league. When have you looked at the cornerback position over the course of the last three years and said, you know what, that's a liability for us? It hasn't been. We've gone out and we've recruited exceptionally well, found guys that fit uh, the metrics that Darcy McBass looking for. He kind of recruits in his own image. He likes us bigger, longer corners that are willing to come up and play the run, and you have to in this league. So I'm not worried about corner because I know that the quality of recruits that we brought into this program and the guy that's their mentor 
uh, is a guy that's earned my trust, and I think he, you should as well. You know, the, the, the question, of course, is safety. Now, one of the things I think sometimes we don't talk enough about is the fact that Marcus Banks has gone to safety. That's a guy with corner ability and corner speed that I'll be covering in the slot. And a lot of that's going to be about technique. You know, and so, again, that's a, a, an important part of this. And you got some other guys out there. You know, Sean, so it feels like Sean Preston has been here. Like, he had to be a doctor. Sean Preston, of course, was a Dan Mullen recruit. Yeah, let that sink in for a second, right? A couple coaches removed from that. But, you know, Sean's a guy, number one, we know what we're going to get with Sean. Is he the best cover guy? He is not. Is he a guy that will change your all for you? Absolutely, he will. He will absolutely run you over. That's a guy that's played a lot of football in the Southeastern Conference. And it's really – his time is kind of now, right? We need Sean to kind of be that veteran, a guy that has seen it all and done it all and can kind of teach it all. Uh, we need that. And of course, we we got to find a way with these transfers to kind of figure out a too deep. And that's what, again, that's what fall camp is for. So, uh, it'll be interesting. And the, the thing – like, the depth chart carryover from the spring is written in sand. You know, you get transfers in that come in for the spring. You know, those guys are just kind of figuring it out. This is when it really matters. And we're, we'll have daily updates on the depth chart. And, and I don't know that we need them every day. Because, the, you know, the point behind that is, is like you may have a guy that has study hall or a guy that has a class. Or you may have a guy that uh, gets a little bit tweaked and say, hey, we're going to sit him today. We'll put him in the pit today. Uh, you know, Whatever. And so, don't, when, when we make those changes, and we're going to update them, but my point being is that don't freak out day to day. Don't get all caught up in that and say, hey, well, just yesterday, this kid was, what happened? Uh, there were some times last year, like uh, Dollar Bill, you know, he was running like second team at one of the guard positions, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And um, so, he was going through drills, but when we went to team, he didn't participate. And so he was listed, you know, with the second team offensive group. And then he didn't go through scrimmage drills. And so, of course, that didn't mean a whole lot. Next thing you know, he's back out there at, like, tackle, you know. And so uh, Mason Miller was a guy that would kind of move guys around, I think sometimes just to mess with us. But, no, it was really about putting guys in situations to see how they respond. And so – don't get all caught up on a two deep, even once we get into the season. You know, we're gonna, again, we're going to keep you up, updated and monitor that very closely. But it's important to understand, I know when Bill Martin was here under Dan Mullen, they would do whatever they wanted to on the depth chart. I mean, Dan didn't even make out the two deep. Bill did. The two deep that is on the official website is for entertainment purposes only. Understand that. So don't get all caught up and like, oh, well, I don't understand. So-and-so was running second team uh, slot receiver, and he hadn't even seen the field. What happened? Is he a bust? No, he's not. So take all of that, as great as it is, with a grain of salt. You know, Mike Leach at times would, would mess with you guys too. I, I there were a couple times we, you know, we put um, – I can't remember the kid's name, and I apologize for that. But, you know, we put a walk-on guys, our number one running back on the depth chart. You know, that, that's because Leach just didn't care. When you get in the flow of the ball game, it, that stuff just doesn't matter. You know, it's really just kind of what you do and who you prepare. 
to kind of get to get going. And so, but that safety group is one that I'm watching a lot. We get out there. It's probably one of the first groups that I go watch because I want to see, you know, kind of how is Marcus Banks handling the transformation? He had a good spring. You know, does it carry over to the fall? Does Sean Preston, a first-team safety, I think at this point he is. You know, does Chris Keys become that guy? You know, what, what, we, what do we do with Chris? You know, and so that's a group, again, I feel great about the front, feel good about the linebackers, feel good about the corners, but the safety things were concerned. Not worried about special teams. Uh, we got better as the year went on. Of course, uh, couldn't be any worse than we were in 2021. We were really good in 20. We're terrible in 2021. We took a step forward last year, especially later in the year. You know, Xavion and Tula were going to be among the best tandems in the country when it comes to kick returns. Tula led the nation an average yard per return last year. It's crazy, right? So you feel good about that. Uh, You know, Nick Barmena, well, should be a good kicker for us. Uh, So... When we begin to work through that aspect, of it, I think we're good there. You know, but again, I'm eager to see how everything works. You know, Massimo Biscardi and those guys came in last year, and it still wasn't great. I mean, it was better, but it wasn't great. It'd be nice not to have to worry about place kicking for a while. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that you know we've got a chance to have a good team, very experienced, the most experienced team in the Southeastern Conference with a favorable schedule. But again, even with that, even as as optimistic as I am, there are a couple personnel groups that. Uh, Again, when you start looking at what you lost and what you've got coming back and what you've got coming in, you think, you know what? This is a group of bears watching here over the course of the next month. And that's kind of where we are. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, Close with Blair. Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair is a guy that understands what it takes to get you to the closing table and get you into a new home. It's an important aspect of things right now. A lot of people said, you know what, Steve, I just, you know, I've always wanted to buy a home. I just, you know, I've had some problems in the past. I just don't know, you know. I don't know. Well, Blair's the guy, number one, that can get you pre-qualified. That's a big part of things. Get pre-qualified, then you know exactly what you're looking for because, you know, buying a home is intimidating. You start thinking, okay, well, this is what I think we can afford to spend, and maybe you know your budget better than anybody. You should. But they can get you pre-qualified for what, number one, can get you approved, get you in a home, so you're not out there wasting your time or the realtor's time going and looking at homes that perhaps that are you know, beyond your means. Blair is a guy that can take care of that for you and say, hey, this, is what you, this is what your payment would look like. This is exactly what your investment would be. And so you say, okay, well, now we know. right? Now we know what we're looking at, looking for. 22 years of experience in the mortgage industry, that's not a joke. It's part of the deal, man. Nobody stays in any industry 20-plus years by accident. you got to know what you're doing. Blair's a closer. Reach out to him at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. He's got answers to all your questions. When you've seen it all and done it all, it all kind of seems like old hat. It can be a very intimidating process for you if it's your first time or even your second time. One thing, having to wait on the bank is tough. So you need to have somebody that can say, you know what, hey, this is no big deal. This is a rubber stamp deal. We can get you taken care of. Again, it's closewithblair.com. All right, going back to the days of my youth, the, uh, there used to be this organization called the PMRC. 
was founded by Tipper Gore. Uh, you know Al Gore, the inventor of the internet. It was uh, his wife, Tipper. And uh, it all started because she was riding around listening to the album Purple Rain with her daughter. The Princess, you know, the motion picture soundtrack, the Purple Rain. And uh, there was a song that's going to be on our list today that there was a comment about uh, some self-care. Let's just put it that way, because I know we have some young people that listen to the show. And let me go ahead and tell you, this list here, you do not need to listen to this with your kids. Period. Okay? Period. But the PMRC basically galvanized the record and recording industry kind of against the federal government because they basically wanted to censor music. That was their goal. And eventually the compromise was made, which is probably a good thing, is that they would put the explicit lyrics label on albums. So parents, when they would go buy an album, wouldn't unknowingly buy their you know, elementary or middle school-aged child an album with profanity or sensitive topics. So that was probably a good thing. But when they put those stickers on there, it guaranteed the album was going to go platinum. Because when given the choice, we were going to buy the stuff that we felt was the good stuff, right? You know, well, you know, they, they're, they're cursing on the record, so they must have conviction. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's weird to look back in hindsight. I don't know how many country artists had those labels. Because it was really more rock music that was being attacked. When we get to our list today, you're going to notice, too, that there is a, an absence of rap music from this list. Well, it's their list. I'm just kind of ranking their list. But rap was still evolving as an art form. And there wasn't a lot of profanity in rap at this point. You know, rap was still very light. It wasn't until uh, you know, Public Enemy and NWA and those bands, uh, you know, the Two Live Crew, all of a sudden you know, things changed. And, and that's a different story in and of itself. You know, when, um, when they began to target the Two Live Crew and called them obscene, they uh, covered... Uh, Born in the USA from Bruce Springsteen. And uh, it was banned in the USA. And did you know that Bruce Springsteen donated the song? Didn't even charge him royalties on it. Because people were against censorship. And I am a First Amendment advocate, period. I think that it's one of those rights that is inalienable. I think you ought to be able to say whatever you want to say. Now, that doesn't mean that I support you showing up at Piccadilly Cafeteria, you know, uh, Sunday afternoon and dropping F-bombs all over the place. I mean, there's a time and a place for whatever. But when it comes to art, writing, music, artists should have the ability to use the full expanses of their palette. And especially now that you've got these stickers on there, I mean, you, you can be properly advised. But, when, you know, it's an adult show. You, you don't want to like it. You, know, you can leave. That was the big problem with the two live crew, right? It's like, you know... They were carding people at the door. It was adults, and so it wasn't like they were influencing kids, even though teenagers were buying that album as nasty as they want to be in droves. But the reality of it is this. The federal government should not be able to tell a record company, a musician, what they can and can't produce. The FCC obviously has um, some guidelines in place. If you want to keep things off the radio, that's your business. But to suggest that somebody shouldn't or couldn't record something because the federal government says no is uh, something we should all stand against.
And there are some people that would say, but Steve, I don't, I don't like all that language. You know what? That's fine. That's fine. You don't have to like it. You also don't have to buy it. In addition to that is where does that end? And, and think that through. You know, country music has become a lot more, uh, I don't know, sinister in some respects, right? Even as of late, no opinions on that publicly. But uh, the reality of it is, is, you know, if it's, what would stop the federal government from once they won, once they toppled at first Ant Hill and say, hey, you can't use this word. Oh, then, then now you can't use this one. Because that's the thing that we have learned in recent years is the chronically offended. There's never anything that we remove as an irritant that ever stops them from being offended. They're going to continue to be offended. It's who and what they are. And so if we're listening to the mob uh, as a leadership group, then you're always going to be catering to the mob. It's like, okay, we'll give them this victory. We're going we're gonna to broker a deal. We'll give them this. They won't ever stop. And that's why the federal government should never be weaponized to stop free speech, ever, ever. And so no matter what genre of music you listen to, you got to look back in hindsight and say this whole PMRC thing was uh, led by Tipper Gore, um, the co-founder of the internet, um, was wrong. They did to get the warning labels attached, but again, which I can see was probably a good thing for, you know, for parents. But the reality of it is, is that we felt like our music was under attack. And we felt like the federal government was trying to uh, legislate morality. Well, you can't listen to this. What do you mean I can't listen to this? I should have the right to listen to whatever I want to listen to. Now, again, you don't have to broadcast it, but you should never deny me my right to listen to it. I wrote a paper about this when I was in high school, something I was very passionate about, and um, did my entire senior research paper on this. And uh, a lot of people were trying to say, you know what, hey, well, this, is, this, you know, this music does this, and it gets people into the occult, and you know, promotes promiscuity. Uh, you know, look at where we are today as a society. When I was in radio 30-some-odd years ago, uh, there were certain songs we couldn't play before dark, like Life in the Fast Lane from the Eagles. We couldn't play it before dark. And one of the reasons why is because, you know, we were piped in to businesses all across town. And so there were just certain songs you didn't play in small town Mississippi because you were basically the soundtrack of, uh, you know, we didn't have Sirius XM back then. We didn't have Muzak yet, at least not in South Mississippi. But nowadays, it's like anything goes. Now, here's my attitude about that. I think that's a great thing. Like, oh, well, Steve, some of this is so over the top. It absolutely is. And there's some things out there that just doesn't appeal to me. So I don't listen to it. But Steve, they're poisoning the minds of our children. You know what? My grandparents, their parents told them that Elvis Presley was going to send him to hell because he was shaking his hips. He couldn't even go on television. And so this is a battle that has been, you know, as long as there has been recorded music, we've talked about this. You get to a certain age, and it's like, oh, the music of today is just so terrible. It's always been that way. We all begin to age out. Yeah, I believe, I firmly believe this, is that um, you start growing old when you stop buying new music. Just my personal opinion on that. But uh, again, I respect everybody's right 
to perform their art and say what they feel. And, uh, and the federal government shouldn't be involved in all that. If you watched uh, Straight Outta Compton, you kind of saw some of that stuff too with NWA. You know, NWA was out there saying some things that just at the time were just like, you're like, holy smokes. You think, are these guys agent provocateurs? And you find out that they weren't. They weren't like some studio creation. These guys were the real deal. And they were talking about what was happening in their, in their communities. And it was important to get that message out. FBI tried to silence public enemy. Why? That's the thing I think about. Why The, the federal government should have better things to do and try to quiet people that uh, are trying to bring attention to what's happening in our country. And again, I respect everybody's right to say it, because where does it end? So here's the, the filthy 15. I didn't put them all on the list, but I'm going to read you the list, and then I'm going to give you my top 10. There were 15 songs that uh, were identified by the PMRC as songs that uh, they labeled the filthy 15. And again, you'll notice no rap songs on here. Again, rap was emerging as an art form. And I'll give you the rating too. There was X for profane or sexually explicit. There was O for occult and D for drugs and alcohol, V for violence. Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive was X. Molly Cruz, Bastard was V. Prince's Darling Nikki was X. Sheena Easton, Sugar Walls was X, Wasp, Animal, I won't give you the subtitle, X, Merciful Fate, Into the Coven, Occult, O, of course it was, Vanity's Strap It On Robbie, X, Def Leppard's High and Dry, Drugs and Alcohol, Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, Violence, Craziness, Madonna's Dress You Up, X, Cindy Lopper's Sheepop X, ACDC, Let Me Put My Love Into You X, Black Sabbath Trashed, Drugs and Alcohol, Mary Jane Girls, My House X, come on guys, and then Venom's Possessed, O for Occult. I, I didn't put a lot of these occult ones in here, but I wanted to make sure we went over the full list. This so you could understand too. It wasn't just, um, you know, long-haired freaks like me that were being targeted. Sheena Easton, you kidding me? Of course, Sheena Easton at that point had a relationship with Prince. He was writing a lot of her songs. And so there was a new level of, you know, appeal with her. She was a more risque. People forget that uh, she was also um, duetting with Prince on the look. Uh, but anyway, Madonna, you kidding me? Madonna. And it's like you go back and you look at the lyrics for these songs and you think, you know, a few of these, okay, right? Because there was you know, a lot of alarmism in, uh, in metal music back then. It's like, okay, well, how do we become even cooler, right? How do we appeal to the masses? And that was the thing, too. It's like you know, there was a lot of occult influence and imagery in metal back then. And it's because Black Sabbath was like, I mean, you know, I, they, were the big, they were the big deal, right? So it's like, oh, I want to be like those guys. And so you get bands like Venom. And you get bands like Merciful Fate. And bands like Hallow's Eve. You get those bands out there, and, and, you, and you wonder, are these guys really Satanists, or is this an act? And some of them were. So I didn't put a lot of that in my, in my top ten. But here we go. My top ten of the Filthy 15. Number ten is Madonna's Dress You Up. I think it's very benign. I think it's one of those things. I think they almost just kind of threw this in there just to say, see, it's not just rock music. Uh, and that Madonna album, too, you know, they had, you know, 
What, why didn't you put like a virgin on there? Why dress you up? I mean, come on. Come on. Number nine, Sheena East and Sugar Walls. And again, I think this is one of those things where they're just trying to, uh, to appease people because their target was rock music. And number eight, the Mary Jane Girls, My House. And again, it's one of those things too. It's like, give me a break, man. I mean, you listen to that song and you think, there's nothing explicit about that. I mean, you, you listen to the, the Cardi B's of the world these days, and if that's your thing, that's your thing. I support it, man. If that's your thing, it's not my thing. You know, I've heard her actually do some guest spots with uh, some people that I have listened to. But there's some things out there now. You talk about this was filthy. There's some stuff out there right now that's X-rated. And again, I support that. And, you know, it's not like the MTV's playing music these days. It's not like these videos are being played on MTV and your kids are being indoctrinated. I mean, it's a choice. You get to go make that decision if you want to listen to this. You can go download it yourself or not. But the Mary Jane girls, come on. Now we're gonna, now the business is picking up here. Number seven for me is Wasp's Animal. And, uh, you know, it's like a beast. You know the rest of it. But uh, that was a song, too, that it was really kind of written... For shock value, Blackie Lawless was like that. You know, Blackie was also part of London, of course, the same band that uh, birthed Nikki Six and ultimately became Motley Crue. Uh, we'll get to them a little bit later. Number six, Eat Me Alive, Judas Priest. It's amazing, too. You know, they put these guys as the Filthy 15. It was a badge of honor for these rock bands. You're like, you know what? Hey, this is great. And they probably sold them more records. It's nuts. It's the TikTok of their day. Number five, ACDC, Let Me Put My Love Into You. And I can tell you there's a lot more ACDC songs, a lot more provocative than this one. And what's interesting, too, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it because I don't, I don't want people to stop playing it, but they, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of songs out there in the ACDC catalog, and we play some of these songs. And, um, like, hidden in the song itself is, like, a little one-liner or something like that that's very provocative. You know, and, and at times, some people would consider obscene. And that's the thing, too. The big debate was you know, what, who determines what's obscenity. And so what's in the eye of the beholder kind of like beauty? Well, if that's the case, then it, it goes back to your personal decision. You shouldn't get to decide what's obscene for me. You live your life how you want to live your life. But I don't think you should. my life should be abridged by what you decide. What, what if I chose for you? How would that be? All right, number four, Motley and... Uh, Nikki Six was criticized when all this really came up. It's the song is bastard, and um, a lot of people are like, "Well, you know, you know, in goes the knife, out comes his life." It's really a song about violence, but it was Nikki basically venting about a former manager they had that ripped him off, and so he wrote a song about it. He didn't go kill the guy. He said, "But Steve, they're advocating violence. Have you seen the Godfather movies? Right, Did you, right." So it's like, that's okay for us to see that and watch it. And I'm like, oh, but there's a rating system. Well, okay, we put a rating system in for music. Now shut up. Leave it alone. I hadn't stopped anybody. All it did was galvanize uh, the fan base. But, you know, it's like, we're going to be critical of Nikki Six for writing this. But, I mean, do you, not, do you guys not remember the horror movies of the 70s? Many of you don't. The Exorcist scared us to death. To this day, I don't like watching that movie. And there's a new one coming out, too, in October for Halloween. New Exorcist movie. I don't know if I'll be going to see it or not. I'm sure my wife's going to drag me up there. 
I don't mind watching horror films, but man, those occult movies sometimes bother me because I believe it's real. I mean, not the movie itself, but I believe that stuff is real. I, you don't believe in demon possession? Come on now. It's rough, man. There's too much evidence to support that. All right, number three. Now, there's a lot of Def Leppard hipsters out there that, uh, you know, they can't dare to admit that Pyromania is the best Def Leppard album, and then their girlfriends will tell you it's hysteria, right? But there are a lot of other people like, well, no, it's really high and dry. High and dry is a great album. It's the second album, and uh, Pete Willis wrote this song. But the title track from the album, High and Dry, you're like, oh, it's about drugs and alcohol. Do you, do you not remember that uh, Hank Williams Sr. sang about a tear in his beer, right? And so it's like, again, there's no country songs on here. And country music built a genre around beer drinking and, you know, bar carousing and cheating, you know, adultery. But ironically, none of that made the Filthy 15. Country music wasn't targeted, even though the subject matter was just as offensive and I use that with air quotes. There was this was an agenda-led initiative, in many respects. Well, let's go after rock music, just like well in the '70s we went after Kiss. Remember that? We're like we're going to go burn Kiss's records, and we're going to go do this, and we're going to have this, and we have book burnings and things like that. And you know, again, it's every generation. Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, this has never been worse, guys. It's always been this way. It's just more of it nowadays. Number two, and uh, dedicated to Tipper Gore, we're going with uh, Darling Nikki from Prince. That's your number two song of the top ten list of the Filthy 15. Don't know where you are these days, Tipper Gore, but uh, you made a name for yourself. You did, and there's a lot of negative connotation. I'm sure your intentions were good, but uh, it, it evolved into something that wasn't. Basically, you promoted censorship. And you want the federal government to do that. And uh, I think that's your legacy. Number one, though, it's Twisted Sisters. We're not going to take it. Number one, and it wasn't from the song. It was the video they had a problem with. And at this point, most Americans didn't even have cable. They had a problem with a teenager standing up for themselves of an overbearing father. And I believe to honor your father and mother. I, I, I believe that. But angsty teens, you always feel like that you're being targeted. And so we're not going to take it. It wasn't just about teens, but the video itself was kind of you know, wrapped around that. And so they drag D. Snyder before uh, you know, the, the Senate hearings. And I guess they thought, okay, well, he's going to walk in here and uh, he's got his long hair and his sunglasses and his denim vest and, and he's got, going to be an idiot. And uh, D. Snyder was so incredibly prepared that he put them all on their heels. And it was really kind of the shining moment for rock music. It's like, this is one of our guys. And I wasn't a huge Twisted Sister fan at the time. I thought they were a bit of a novelty act. I like bands who are a little more serious, you know. But all of a sudden, I became a bigger fan of D. Snyder and Twisted Sister because I felt like he was standing up for us. And this is our people. It's our music. But probably the most important part of the PMRC hearings didn't involve Ozzy Osbourne, didn't involve Dee Snyder, didn't involve Rob, Rob Halford or Prince or the descendants of uh, Elvis Presley, none of that. It was John Denver. John Denver. They called him 
as a witness thinking that he was going to be on their side to promote censorship. And instead, John goes in there and just sets off an Oppenheimer-level atomic bomb in those hearings. I think it changed everything. John talked about how he had been targeted because some people were talking about Rocky Mountain High to suggest that that was somewhat drug-related. He goes, what that tells me is these people have never been there. They don't understand the euphoria of sitting there and watching a sunset over the Rocky Mountains and what that feels like, or to watch a sunrise out in Colorado. And so Rocky Mountain High was not a euphemism for drug use. And so he began to expound upon that and just kind of explain, I would not want my music abridged or censored. And he's writing Americana, right? And of course, you know, we lost John you know, much too early, you know. Country roads take me home. Little did we know that the country road would take him to Washington, D.C., and he would basically stand up for rock music and ultimately rap. And that's the thing, too, it's so crazy, too, is like they, they take this big swing with the PMRC, and, well, that didn't work. And then all of a sudden when NWA and Public Enemy and, and those bands begin to kind of rise, too, it's like we couldn't get rap music, so let's go pick on rap. Still hadn't gone and picked on country, though. I guess maybe now, you know. The, uh, the Karens of the world are out there working on that. But it's so interesting. It was also agenda-driven, and so I've spent a lot of time talking about this today. It's the off-season, so you have to, you know, my last week of the off-season. And I uh, wanted to talk about this because it, it kind of crossed my timeline the other day. If you don't know much about that, Young Bucks, just put in PMRC in your browser and hit search, and you can go back and read and even find some of these hearings. And uh, it's a very, very important part in American history and again nobody lost you know their their lives or anything but the reality of it is is that this was a very important part in protecting the first amendment as a, as a part of our bill of rights and again as always thanks uh to to uh, roy for putting these lists together for us i put the list together he keeps them for us and puts them out there and um so be sure and follow him on twitter and spotify at dogmatic67 that's d-a-w-g-m-a-t M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic-6-7. Be sure and check him out and give him a follow. He won't be tweeting out pictures of his food. And I, don't, and I, I just about guarantee you there's probably not – he probably doesn't have like Sheena Easton of the Mary Jane Girls Greatest Hits. So he's probably not going to be doing TikToks with that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a safe follow for you. Of course, I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Uh, be sure and check in with me. If you're not following me on Twitter, I don't know what's wrong with you. And uh, again, thanks to CloseTheBlair.com for sponsoring our top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Go by and check them out when you're in town, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing through there and do your game day shopping. And then next thing you know, you're on campus. You're parking and walking to one of Mississippi State's historic sporting venues. And perhaps you're a person, hey, you go set up your tailgate, Kind of get that going, and then uh, while you're doing that, the wives get the table set or whatever, then they can uh, run over there and pick up some new gear. You can rock a new maroon and white polo or T-shirt at Davis Wade Stadium this fall. Campus Bookmart has the most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. A lot of people make that claim they're pretenders to the throne. Campus Bookmart, that's exactly where you want to be, where you need to be. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. 
That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a look at Arkansas. We're going to play those guys too. And uh, what's interesting too, one of the talking points that I agree with is that you may have seven good teams in the SEC West. The records may not always reflect that. I think Arkansas has the makings of a good team. I think it's one of those deals, too, though, you look at and say, you know what, somebody's got to lose games. I think Arkansas is a team that, you know, we talk about the question marks at Mississippi State. I think Arkansas is a team that has a ton of question marks, a ton. But they're a team, too, that could kind of shape, you know, the bowl picture for so many of us that are not going to be in contention for the playoff. Let's take a look back at last year. And, of course, K.J. Jefferson missed some time last year. I'm a huge K.J. Jefferson fan. I think he is a phenomenal quarterback. Uh, we nearly got him, nearly did. Uh, be a different dynamic. I don't know that he could have run the air raid. He probably would have been in the transfer portal. So maybe, maybe picking Arkansas was the right pick for him. But it'll be interesting, though. But taking a look at last year, you know, it's an interesting year for Arkansas. They go 7-6 and six overall, 3-5 and five in the conference. But they get off to a really pretty decent start here. Uh, they get Cincinnati, of course, uh, a year removed from a pretty special year from the Bearcats. They get them 31-24. That was a very interesting out-of-conference selection. Give Arkansas and Cincinnati both credit for scheduling strong there. 31-24 winners. The next week, they get South Carolina 44-30. And in Missouri State, Bobby Petrino made it awfully interesting, and then Arkansas wins that game late. But I remember we were down at LSU and thinking, you know what, hey, Arkansas is in trouble too. All right, the next week they dropped the game to um, Texas A&M, 23-21. Very competitive game, just one play away from a 4-0 start. The next week smashed by Alabama, 49-26. They come to Starkville, kind of limp in there. And, of course, KJ's hurt. And uh, it changes a lot. But uh, the bottom line is they couldn't stop us. And we went 40-17. to 17. KJ comes back. They bounce back. They go to BYU. And they win that game 52-35. And it, it was a game for a while. And then eventually Arkansas wore them down. Just I mean, the, the, the strength and conditioning program in Arkansas really took over. Second half of the ball game. They go to the Plains. They beat Brian Harson and Auburn 41-27. And then they lose to Liberty. Strike up Hugh Freeze and the Flames 21-19. And that's when people kind of realized Arkansas was in some trouble. The next week, they host LSU, number seven LSU, an eventual, eventual SEC West winner, LSU. Wasn't a great game for LSU by any stretch, but they find a way to win it 13-10. And again, you sort of look at these Arkansas losses, man. You know, there were a handful of them here you look at, and it's just, you know, one score or less. They host Ole Miss and just absolutely run all over Ole Miss. A very pedestrian Rebel defense last year. They were not a good matchup at all, especially up front. Uh, we're a pretty veteran offensive line last year for Arkansas, and they really had their way with Ole Miss. And uh, as I said for weeks, they were going to lose at Missouri. They do 29-27. And uh, bounce back to win a barn burner in three overtimes in a Liberty Bowl against Kansas. And so that's a difference in a winning season and a losing season is winning the Liberty Bowl. That said, I think Arkansas is probably in a little trouble this year. 
I just think even with KJ, as dynamic as he is, there's just not enough around him to really move this thing forward. And, and you got to think, okay, well, you know, what are Arkansas fans willing to accept? Well, you know, probably a lot less than they should. You know, I think a lot of people in Arkansas think they should be, you know, getting the type of hype that Texas A&M does year to year, and that they should be able to consistently play with Alabama. And while they have had some competitive games against Alabama, they just haven't been able to win. Uh, but when you begin to think about the fact, too, it's two brand-new coordinators. And like, unlike Mississippi State, where you've got Matt Brock, so there's continuity on defense, things are changing a lot. They're changing a lot. And, and they probably should. You know, I mean, Barry Odom is a guy that, you know, for a while there uh, was one of the you know, top defensive coordinators in the country. It would be a much different dynamic now. Much different deal. Um, so, of course, it all centers around KJ, but uh, he has a lot to work with. That, that is a very, very, very talented running back room. And Dan Enos, I've told you guys before, some of the formational things that he does with tight ends is very intriguing to me. They will find a way to stress safeties. They will put linebackers in conflict. There's a lot of eye candy with this offense. So there are going to be some games that teams sell out to try to stop the run that they're going to get beat with the pass. Because K.J. is a guy – listen, he's not Tom Brady by any stretch of imagination, but this is a guy that's very, very talented. And when you give him the run-pass option, as strong and physical as he is, he can burn you. And I think this Dan Eno scheme with those tight end cluster formations could be something that is difficult to defense. Very much so. But it's year one, you know. It's like if the standard applies to Mississippi State, it, supply, it, it applies to Arkansas. Because the Eno scheme and Kendall Bryce scheme are, are very different. You remember what Brandon Allen did at Arkansas with Danny Nose? Much different dynamic than what Kendall Bryles did with KJ. But, you know, Enos is a guy that's very talented. You know, I know he didn't – the run at Miami wasn't what they wanted it to be. But I'm intrigued by this. I, I really – I think, you know, with the stable of running backs they have and the fact that they have recruited well in the offensive line and Sam Pittman's a guy obviously that knows how to develop offensive linemen, they're going to be decent on offense. And it, it, some games this should be really good. And against teams that can't stop the run, Arkansas is going to feast. I'm looking at you, Ole Miss. All right, so, uh, <clears throat> again, it's really kind of a uh, RPO-type scheme. So, I think KJ could thrive in that. But, um, you know, KJ's a big-time dude. And uh, they're going to change some things up. It's not always going to be the spread. They're not always going to be back, uh, you know, running, you know, the shotgun zone read type stuff. They're going to mix some things up. They talked about him being under center some. Uh, so, that's going to be interesting. Uh, but Rocket Sanders, I, I love Rocket Sanders. I, I, I do. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I think he fits what we want to do. He is a throwback running back that is a guy that just wears on you and grates on you over the course of a game. He's already proven to be a star. Guys, he had almost 1,500 yards last year. And you got to think, too, in those games that K.J. wasn't around, his production was down a little bit just because teams didn't have to account for the quarterback run as much. So between K.J. and Rocket, Arkansas could be and probably should be the number one rushing team in the Southeastern Conference. The problem is going to be is when they get in games where they can't stop anybody and you got to score quickly, are they going to be able to do that? That's a real question. 
This wide receiver room is really in transition. They had to hit the portal really hard, kind of rebuild the room there. And Bryce Stevens is a guy that's somewhat interesting. Jaden Wilson is a guy that has made some big catches, had, had a couple of big ones against us. But, uh, they, you know, they get to the portal and, and they go get three guys. And, again, just kind of rebuilding the room out there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. You know, tight ends going to be, again, going to be a big part of this. They go get uh, – Varkey's Gums from North Texas. That's a name maybe you're not quite as familiar with. I think this guy's kind of an X factor in this offense. You go look at his numbers, I think you'll be impressed. One of the one of the better tight ends in the portal, and he winds up at Arkansas at a program that expects to use a tight end a lot more. You got a couple of starters back on the offensive line with Brady Latham and uh, Bo Limmer, but outside of that, you're kind of figuring that out. And again, Maybe that's a good thing, but you'd like to have, you know, four to five starters back when you're installing a new system. There's a reason those guys didn't start. And it's not to say they didn't have talent last year. They did. But, again, changing formations, changing the demands on the quarterback, and then an offensive line that, um, you know, really at times struggled pass blocking last year but a team that wants to get downhill on you. So, again, when games when Arkansas is in these games that are one and two possessions, they're just going to run their scheme. You know, what's going to happen, though, when they get behind? You know, it, it's not an offense that I think lends itself to shootouts. But, again, I think Dan Enos is a better hire than people are giving uh, Sam Pittman credit for. Uh, I truly believe that. Now, defensively, it, it was an absolute disaster at times last year. It was. Uh, Travis Williams and now Marcus Woodson. It's a guy that we've known well from the recruiting uh, battles here as of late. Now at Arkansas. And um, so it'll be interesting. You know, how, do, how do they set this thing up? What's the dynamic behind this? And I, I, you know, Ultimately, what's the play calling look like? But this is one of those teams that was really kind of feast or famine. They would get after the quarterback. Set a school record 42 sacks last year. But, man, they, you could run the football on those guys. They absolutely could not cover. And that's what you saw in our game. I mean, we had people just running wide open in the secondary, which is why State won, won that game going away. And not to mention we left some points on the field. But, uh, you know, you give up over 30 points a game, you're asking an awful lot of your offense. You are. And that's the thing. that You know, Odom moves on. They had to make a change. You know, so, again – You've got a defense that was very porous, and now you're implementing a new scheme with a lot of new players. You know, and and you, you lost some guys last year that were you know, very, very good. Now, the, the front should be solid. Will they be dynamic? We don't know yet. I know one thing's for sure. It doesn't matter who's the coach at Arkansas. There's always that one big physical guy that plays the you know, nose or plays the shade or whatever. There's always going to be that guy in the middle. Um, you know, is Torin Carter that guy? You know, we'll see. But they also went to Portal uh, to try to kind of shore this thing up a little bit. I mean, tons and tons and tons of new names at Arkansas. And that's the question you always ask yourself is, you know, did we get the right guys? Did these guys fit our culture? And Sam is a great evaluator. Uh, so, I, again, I think Arkansas is going to be good. I don't think they're going to be great. You know, what do you do now at linebacker? I mean, you, you very talented group last year that played a lot of snaps. They've all moved on, right? And so – you know, we'll see. Is Chris Paul Jr. the dude? You know, we'll see. But that's a personnel group that's really in you know, transition. You know, you got again, you hit the portal hard. Really, at every level of defense, they hit the portal and uh, tried to kind of, you know, revitalize this defense. 
former Mississippi State commitment with Darius Bishop, of course. Um, that's a guy that, um, you know, I think he was headed to Arkansas anyway. But, you know, when you make the coaching change, it's kind of what happens. But, uh, you know, Dwight McLaughlin, former LSU Tigers there, was really good at times for them last year. A little bit inconsistent with others. Uh, Hudson Clark is a guy, obviously, that uh, made some plays for them. But, again, uh, you go through it and um, – you know, is this secondary going to be better? I think they're going to be good at corner, but I think the safeties are still kind of a work in progress. And so you begin to think about this. It's basically going to be Arkansas, and in many respects the same Arkansas team you saw last year without the same level of pass rush. You know, so what does that mean this year for the schedule? You know, I think against teams that can actually throw the football with some success, Arkansas is going to struggle. I do think they're a team, obviously, that um, can put points on the board, and they're a team that can grind you down over the course of a ball game. And come fourth quarter, if it's a one-possession game, you're probably in trouble. I think Arkansas is going to have some games like that. You know, last year, well, you lose four games by a score or less. I think there's going to be some games like that this year. And ultimately, they're going to go as far as KJ can take them. They got to keep him healthy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, that's not breaking news by any stretch of imagination. But with the demands that you're going to put on him, and again, this is a guy, too, that missed some time last year. And um, there was some discussion at times last year, is he coming back? You know, would he be a guy that would be able to return later in the year? Because he just had these things that lingered. And, again, I love this kid, man. I, I do. And if you've ever had any of your interaction with him, you would love him, too. And uh, it's one of those guys I'm, I'm happy to see him do as well as he's done. And, of course, State's played pretty well against him. Um, you know, with 2-1 and one against Arkansas. Uh, is that right? 2-2, two and two, I guess, during his tenure. Because, you know, he played against us uh, down in 19. Came in late. Made a couple plays for them. But, um, yeah, I'm happy for KJ. But I just think there's so much of this riding on his shoulders. You know, I got it's obviously you know, has NFL, NFL aspirations. And I do think that he'll get drafted. And you got Rocket Sanders. So you've got a really good – one, two, uh, you know, tandem there. And, again, there, there's some depth in the running back room. But you got to keep K.J. healthy because without the quarterback run, this offense is pretty pedestrian. All right, look at the schedule. Western Carolina, that, that's a dub. Kent State, that's a W. Uh, they host BYU, and they went up there and beat BYU last year. Very physical BYU team. You know, a lot of older guys on this team. We know from experience, right? Uh, but that game's in Fayetteville. You'd like to think they could win that game. So uh, maybe a 3-0 start for the Razorbacks. Then they go to LSU. Now, Arkansas has had some success down there. That's one of those things that's interesting, too. It's like there's been so many times you look at that and say, okay, okay, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. LSU will handle business. But you know, under Sam Pittman, Arkansas has been a team that for one reason or another – something about the way Sam and those guys have evaluated LSU, they, they have been able to make these games competitive. And uh, that's one of the things I think is rather, rather interesting. You know, there's some teams out there you look at, like us and A&M. Don't you know it just absolutely infuriates A&M that Mississippi State has had such success against them? And you think, we just simply have their number. But, you know, you look back at these, you know, last few ball games with them, you know, since Sam has been there, all right, Taking over to 2020 season. LSU wins by three in 20. In 21, Arkansas wins by three, 16-13. And then last year, LSU wins by three, 13-10. It just didn't make any sense. 
But for one reason or another, Sam is able to get these guys up. And so you got to begin to ask yourself, okay, if they roll into Baton Rouge with a 3-0 record and, and the belief that, hey, we can play with these guys, that's going to be awfully interesting. Awfully interesting. But I like LSU win. Then you get A&M and Arlington. And, again, that game is always one of the more exciting games of the early part of the schedule. Um, I, I've never been to that game. I, I would like to. Like, if we ever had a bye week in Arkansas and A&M were playing, I, I think I'd want to go to Jerry Ward and watch that game because I mean, it always is so competitive. And always something crazy always seems to happen. But I think in the end, I think Arkansas is in trouble facing Petrino. And you know why, right? And Bobby gave him fits last year, you know. When he was at SEMA, you think he should have won the game. With better talent around him at AM and a neutral field, I think I think AM gets him. I do. Uh, and then they gotta go to Ole Miss. And so this now you begin to look at this. Okay, it's back to back losses and you head to Ole Miss. You know, and you never know what shape everybody's gonna be in. But these Ole Miss Arkansas games have been high scoring. I don't think either team is gonna be able to stop the other one. And it is at Ole Miss. But I like Arkansas because I think when you look at what they did last year, Arkansas really kind of took Ole Miss's will to win away. That, I mean, that was an absolute bloodletting in that second half. And I don't think Ole Miss has done enough defensively to be able to slow that game down. I, I think Arkansas wins that game, and then they'll lose at Alabama. And then we will go to Mississippi State. We'll go up there, and they don't get the bye week. And that's the thing that I begin to look at with the schedule, the grind of the schedule for Arkansas. You start thinking, okay, well, when's the bye date? When's the bye date? And there's going to be so much – or open date, excuse me. So much, so much physical football they're going to play. And then we're going to be the last game before the open date. And there is always this, you know, hey, we're happy to be home. Because you got to think, it's three consecutive games – excuse me, four consecutive games away from Fayetteville. At LSU – the neutral game with A&M, at Ole Miss, at Alabama, that's brutal. Not to mention the physical rigor it's going to take to compete at Alabama. You know, what kind of shape is K.J. Jefferson going to be in when, when Mississippi State heads up there? And, again, I think they're so bad defensively. I got us winning the ballgame. Then Arkansas goes after the bye date to Florida. This will sound crazy. It's a toss-up game. I will not be the least bit surprised if Arkansas didn't win this game. But because it is on the road – I'm going to opt for Florida. I think Florida and Arkansas want to do some of the same things schematically on offense. And going down there to Swamp is never an easy undertaking, but you got to begin to ask yourself, too, if Florida's having a bad season, is there really a home field advantage the fans are checked out? You know, is Scott Strickland over there working through his short list? Yeah, we'll see. But I'm going to take Florida in this game. And then Arkansas will host Auburn November the 11th. Uh, by this time, you got to think there's got to be some semblance of belief at Auburn. You know, you never know what kind of shape the teams are going to be in. Uh, but that's a pivotal game. It's a toss-up game. And you got to begin to ask yourself, too, if, you, if, if you're Arkansas, you know, if you're having the challenging season, especially in the SEC play, you know, at this point, what are you left playing for, right? The next week you get Florida International, that's a W. And then Missouri. And that's proven to be very unpredictable. But, again, when you start running, this, running the numbers here, they should win the four non-conference games. 
And I don't think anybody will argue against that. There's no reason to think, unless BYU gives them a little trouble, but I think in the end that game being in Fayetteville is a good thing for Arkansas. So I got, I got, I got them going 4-0, but I could, I could be sold on 3-1. and Again, we don't know what they're going to look like. But, you know, Western Carolina and Kent State should not in any way challenge Arkansas. And they ought to be able to uh, – you know, begin to develop some cohesion on the offensive line and then play some of those younger running backs to save some wear and tear on Rocket later in those ball games to have him fresh for BYU. But, again, 4-0 four, four and oh in a non-conference. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt there. And then you get into SEC play, and this is where I ask myself, where are the sure wins in SEC play? I don't know that there are any, and that's the real question. And there's so many road games out here you look at and say, you know what, they didn't do themselves any favor scheduling-wise because you're going to play all these games in a row. And you're a team that we could probably use a day off. And, of course, you don't get to pick your, your conference scheduling. Uh, but Arkansas at LSU, that'll be a competitive game. But, you know, Brian Kelly and those guys, are under, they understand what a challenge it was last year. So I think Arkansas loses at LSU. I think they lose to A&M on the neutral field. I think the Petrino factor is a, is a real thing. And then I think they win at Ole Miss, lose at Alabama. That's got them one and three through four games in the SEC, one and three in league play. I think State beats them. Now all of a sudden you're one and four. You go to Florida, you lose that one. You're one and five. Let's say you beat Auburn, you know, and uh, beat Missouri. Well, it's a three and five year, and you put that with your four non-conference wins to seven and five year. So, uh, I've got them going, you know, seven and five, maybe six and six. It depends on how, what happens in the Auburn game, right? But, again, I, I don't think you look at any of these games in the SEC and say, hey, that is a sure win. And when you're a team that's got as many question marks as they do, I think that's a real concern. And, again, I'm not being hypercritical of Arkansas. It's like I picked them last in the West, and people are like, oh, it's just being a homer. I think Arkansas has got the, the, the makings of a good team. The problem is defensively, they have been so abysmal. And this road schedule is absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. And, again, think about this. You're going to leave after that BYU game, after having played uh, three games in the state of Arkansas because they open up in Little Rock, right, which, uh, you know, whatever. I've never been a fan of that. But after you play the BYU game, the next home game you have is Mississippi State October 21st. That's a long time to be away. So it's five games. The fifth game in that stretch, you finally are at home. And that's a defining stretch. That stretch in September, from September 23rd to October 14th, will define their season. And I think there's only one win, maybe two. But the fact that you got to go to Tiger Stadium at Bryant Denny, nobody feels good about that. You say, well, you know what? We ought to have conference. We played well against LSU last three years. That's true, too. But Brian Kelly is not oblivious to that fact. But I think it's a brutal schedule. And, again, it's a team with a lot of question marks. And, again, yeah, and, and your non-conference, yeah, you're going to Florida. Excuse me, and your eastern opponent, right? you got to go to Florida. So they didn't get Vanderbilt. They didn't get South Carolina. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough schedule. And I think when you look at the totality of things – you begin to realize this Arkansas team, with their question marks and challenging schedule and, and the fact that there's so many difficult road games, 
it's going to be a difficult year. That, that doesn't mean four and eight. I'm not forecasting that at all. I, I think there is a real chance that everybody in the West earns bowl eligibility. We nearly did last year. You know, and then went five and seven. You know, if they, if, if they beat Appalachian State, every team in the West is bowl eligible. I think it's going to be that same kind of year, a lot of parity in the West. So in no way am I suggesting you're forecasting failure for Arkansas. I just don't like them as much as I do some of the other teams just because of the fact there are a lot of factors working against them. And if K.J. Jefferson goes down, it's going to be really, really difficult to compete in the Southeastern Conference. And you don't want to forecast that. I mean, I hope K.J. has a tremendous year. really do. But I just think there's just so many questions to answer on defense. And, again, this road schedule is just one of those things you look at and say, you know what? I wouldn't risk that on my worst enemy. And I think I go back to 2020, you know, when they put Georgia and Florida on Sam Pittman's schedule, you know, it's like, who did they make mad? You know, in the SEC office, they continue to get these difficult draws uh, from the eastern side. I mean, again, uh, they get Missouri every year in that rivalry game, but that, that's proven to be more competitive, I think, than Arkansas would like. But, again, they may be a good team, not going to be a great team. Now, that's my feeling. You may feel differently. And, again, if they find some playmakers on defense, maybe you know, maybe they could find a way to squeeze one or two of these games out. But, of course, it's a big game for us uh, going up there and playing them. I just like where we are on their schedule. I like I think by the time that we get to Fayetteville, Arkansas is going to be beat up. That's a very, very, very physical stretch before we get there. And I love playing teams the week after they play Alabama uh, because, uh, you know, Nick's just not one of those guys that believes in uh, – he doesn't buy into the whole thing of uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. I guess in some respects maybe he does because they just pound people into it. But my point being, this is an Arkansas schedule that just does not lend itself uh, to a team that's having to basically, you know, install a new offense and defense. And you've, got, you've had to rely so much on a transfer portal. I, I think there is not a team in the West that has more question marks than Arkansas. And, again, to you Arkansas fans, because I'm sure somebody will listen to this and they'll go spread it around, he's hating on Arkansas. I'm not. I'm just trying to tell you how I see it. I think if you're honest with yourselves, you'll agree there are a lot of question marks around this team. Absolutely are. All right, you had not done so, go to uh, whenthebottomfalls.com. That's W-H-E-N, thebottomfalls.com. And you can get all my books there. And Dogpile will take you there. You can Google Steve Robertson books and you can find them. Uh, but you can get – when the Bottom Falls, Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Flim Flam, five of my six books there, and um, encourage you to do that. Pre-ordering is a smart thing to do. And matter of fact, we will finish up final edits this week. The thing is typeset and then sent off to print. And so we'll turn this thing around and, and have it in your hands. Uh, we'll get an actual release date here pretty soon, but it'll be sometime in September, you know, maybe early October at the latest. But we feel pretty confident. They've told us their timeline is about five weeks. And so we feel pretty confident about getting this thing out to you. Middle of September, but I'll give you an actual release date. And uh, it's been amazing to write this book. And, uh, you know, but I'm done, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not, okay, well, I'm finished. It's like, it's one of those things, there's this feeling of accomplishment, but also, too, I feel like that I I hit the mark. Uh, My whole goal in this was to write this story in hopes of helping other people. And uh, I believe I've done that. I can be a little more objective about it now that I've read through it so many times and you know, my emotions have kind of subsided, and, and I'm at peace. And that's one of the things that I'm a person that heals by writing and communicating. And uh, I like to talk about what's on my mind. I mean, I've got, I've got some people in my life that are kind of introverted and they don't like to talk about their feelings. Well, I, I, I do, and it's not something that I choose. It's just something that I am. 
And so I've written so many things out here that uh, many of them I've never made public. There's some things in there that my family will read for the first time. And uh, I know it's going to upset them. But they're not my target audience. And my target audience is people that are they're struggling. And, uh, and, and all of you. And I'm sure that many of you are thinking, you know what, I've got somebody in my life. I just don't know how to help them. And that's one of the things that we talk about in the book. You know, is how important it is to kind of identify what, you know, what the behavior is and what the underlying cause is. And this is not like a how-to book, right? It, it is basically my memoir. And I take you through the things that I have learned in recovery as well. So it's not a revised big book or anything like that. It's just an opportunity for me to share what I've learned uh, and what recovery has done for my life and for my family. And so I encourage you. Uh, go buy it today. Again, it's whenthebottomfalls.com. And all my sports books are there. Bloomis of Oleander will soon be out of print. You can get it at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. And, again, that, that's going to be done. And uh, I'm happy to have done the book, but I'm happy to be free of that company sooner rather than later. Uh, so kind of is what it is at this point. But the reality of it is if book number six is on its way. And what's so amazing, like I had an appointment yesterday, and somebody said, hey, I read your book. And I said, which one? And he goes, oh, you wrote more than one? I'm thinking, man, I need to get better representation, right? I'm joking, Paul. Um, they only knew Stark Villains. They didn't understand that I had a sequel to Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. They hadn't read Dogpile. And so a lot of people, maybe you're tuning me out here, but the reality of it is this is book number six. Now, I ran into uh, some other people yesterday downtown that were excited about the new one and said, hey, we got a whole Steve Robertson section in our house, which means a lot to me. Uh, but please go pre-order the book. It uh, will be very helpful if you do. And then, of course, uh, if you're not a member of our, our merry band of Maroon Misfits over at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports, you need to be. Come check us out. Uh, and you know, fall camp's opening up. Nobody's going to do a better job covering that than we are. Nobody. Simple as that. Nobody will do a better job covering Mississippi State athletics than we are. It doesn't matter who shows up down the road. We're not going to uh, be in a situation, obviously, that we're going to do a poor job. Simple as that. So come check us out. And uh, as always, you can get Stark Villains gear at StarkVillains.com. Uh, get yourself a T-shirt, hoodie, outfit the family, and uh, rep the brand. And I'm, as I sit here and look at the uh, United States of America patent and trademark office where the, the phrase Stark Villain is trademarked. I own it. Super cool thing. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.